Hello, listeners. As an enhancement to your listening experience, I am now going to present these archive episodes unedited in their entirety, which includes all of my afterthoughts. So, continue listening after the outro music if you want to hear what I thought of the episode. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please support it by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. And now I can also accept Zelle and Venmo. Just use my email address, spacerockethistory at gmail.com. Thanks. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? Good last, huh? We're in that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 237 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 12, Lunar Module Pilot Alan Bean, the artist. My name is Alan Bean. I was, uh, at that time, Captain Alan Bean. I was lucky enough to be the Lunar Module Pilot on Apollo 12, so I became the fourth man to walk on the moon. After that, I flew in Skylab, a commander of Skylab 2. And so I had a really wonderful career at NASA. I was there 18 years as an astronaut, and I'm an artist now, painting my experiences. Alan Laverne Bean was born March 15, 1932, in Wheeler, in the northeast Texas panhandle. He is of Scottish descent. His father worked for the U.S. Soil Conservation Service. He grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, where he became enamored with flight at an early age. As a boy, growing up during World War II, he saw many pictures of people flying aircraft, and his home was near an air base. At an early age, he decided to become an aviator. It started, it started when I was a youngster, as far back as I can remember. Uh, I wanted to fly airplanes, and uh, I don't know why. I just liked the way they looked. I liked the way they moved through the sky. I liked the way they sounded. My dad would take me out to the airport on Sunday, and I'd look at them come in and watch the propellers turn. I liked the way they smelled. I liked everything about them. I think we're all trapped in being who we are, what we like and what we don't like. And one of the challenges we have in our life is finding out how to take the things we like and make a life out of them. Alan Bean began flight training when he was just 17 years old and still in high school by joining the Naval Air Rescue. He graduated from Pasco High School in Fort Worth in 1950 and went on to the University of Texas at Austin, where he received a Bachelor of Science degree in Aeronautical Engineering in 1955. At the University of Texas, he was a member of the Delta Kappa Epsilon fraternity. Bean was a Reserve Officer Training Corps student, so he was commissioned 
as an ensign in the United States Navy upon graduation. Hey, I just finished a year and a half of flight training. and I, I was a good pilot, but I wasn't the best pilot. They had an award every week in flight training called Student of the Week. And so if you got the best grades in ground school and you got the best grades in flying, then you won Award of the Week. I tried every week to win it. I never, ever won it. I could fly airplanes, but I wasn't the best. I was just another student trying to be great. The closest I ever got is one time my roommate, who didn't care that much about it, but was a better natural aviator, he happened to mention about three days after he won it that he won it because he knew it was going to kind of break my heart. I was happy for him and jealous of him. At the age of 24, Bean became the youngest member of Attack Squadron VA-44 at Naval Air Station Jacksonville, Florida from 1956 to 1960, flying the F-9F Cougar and the A-4D Skyhawk. But painting, a career he was to follow after he retired from the Navy, was in his blood too. Even as other pilots tinkered with their hot rods on weekends, Bean took classes in oil painting. Known as Sasparilla by his fellow flyers because he didn't drink alcohol, he also became known as Beano, a nickname that would stick with him through his astronaut days. After completing a four-year tour of duty, he attended the U.S. Naval Test Pilot School at Naval Air Station Patuxent River, Maryland. He trained under the direction of Pete Conrad, who would later become commander of the Apollo 12 moon flight, and who would be instrumental in getting Bean assigned to that mission. Next, Bean flew as a test pilot on several types of naval aircraft. Following his time at test pilot school, Bean was assigned to Attack Squadron 172 at Naval Air Station Cecil Field, Florida flying the A-4 Skyhawk from 1962 to 1963. By 1962, Bean knew he wanted to join the elite cadre of America's newest test pilots known as astronauts because, as he later said on the National Space Society's website, quote, I thought it might be even more fun than flying airplanes, end quote. In that year, he applied and made the final cut of 35 candidates along with his old instructor, Pete Conrad. But Bean was rejected, and Pete Conrad was selected. Undaunted, Alan Bean applied again the following year and was selected by NASA as part of Astronaut Group 3 in 1963. Okay, I finally show up here at the Johnson Space Center. We're flying P-38s. That's the Johnson Space Center over there in the background. And like every job you approach, there's good come to, there's good news and bad news. Okay, the good news first. The good news was I was surrounded by people that believed and cared. If you didn't believe that we could get to the moon, even though we didn't know how, and even though it seemed like an impossible dream, it wasn't possible to stay. If you didn't care enough to be dedicated to finding a way, then you wouldn't stay. It just, it just wasn't possible for you to get into it. And that was the characteristic that was so wonderful about being there. 
I was just surrounded by these people. We didn't know how we could do it exactly. That was the bad news. Bean's first assignment was backup command pilot for Gemini 10. But Bean was not good at playing the astronaut office politics, so he was not successful in securing an early Apollo flight assignment. Instead, he was placed in the Apollo Applications Program, which was concerned with low-Earth orbit flights planned for after the moon landings. In that capacity, he was the first astronaut to dive in the Neutral Buoyancy Simulator and a champion of the process for astronaut training. It is likely Bean would have remained in the Apollo Applications Program But a tragic event occurred. Fellow astronaut Clifton Williams was killed in an air crash, and as a result, a space was opened for Bean on the backup crew for Apollo 9. Future Apollo 12 commander and old friend Pete Conrad, who had instructed Bean at the Naval Flight Test School years before, personally lobbied NASA to have Bean assigned to his Apollo 9 backup crew. And so it was that Pete Conrad, mission commander, Dick Gordon, command module pilot, and Alan Bean, lunar module pilot, got in line for Apollo 12, the second mission to land humans on the surface of the moon. Since the actual landing site of Apollo 11 turned out to be as much as four miles off target, One of Apollo 12's prime objectives became to perfect a pinpoint landing. Planners chose Apollo 12's target, the landing site of Surveyor 3, an unmanned probe that had touched down in the Ocean of Storms in April of 1967. If the Apollo 12 crew could walk to Surveyor 3 after they landed, they would know their mission was a success. Then they said to us, look, on future missions... The geologists want us to go to, you know, big crevasses in the moon or near the mountains. We're going to have to be pretty accurate landing. The Apollo 11 landed within four miles of where we wanted them to land. We've got to do better. We want you to land in a spot where this surveyor was, not necessarily to get the parts off it, but as long as you're there, why don't you do it? But to find a way, demonstrate, work with Mission Control, work with Grumman, work with MIT to figure out how to land more accurately. And so that's what we did. I'll tell you one thing I learned at NASA. People and groups of people are a lot better than we than you think, or, or I would think. I remember when we will, they told us we were going to do this. I said, we can't do that. We did the best we could do a month or two ago. Suddenly we're going to do better. But our leader said, you'll do better. Y'all start working, doing better on this. And lo and behold, after four months, we did do better. Apollo 12 was launched on November 14, 1969. A perfect liftoff was marred just 36 seconds into the flight when the moon rocket was hit by lightning overloading the ship's electrical system and scrambling its navigation platform. As Bean later said on National Public Radio, quote, When all these warning lights came on, it was unlike anything we'd been trained for years, maybe five years beforehand. We had no idea whatsoever what happened, end quote. With the help of Mission Control, 
However, the crew recovered the mission, reached Earth orbit, and continued on to the moon. Bean was the astronaut who executed John Aaron's famous flight, try SCE to AUGS, instruction, to restore telemetry after the spacecraft was struck by lightning 36 seconds after launch, thus salvaging the mission. After a three-day journey, Apollo 12 did achieve its main objective, setting down within sight of Surveyor 12. Bean became the fourth person in history to set foot on the moon after he followed Pete Conrad from the latter. One of Bean's first acts upon stepping onto the moon was to toss his astronaut pin, worn by rookie astronauts, into a crater. Bean later explained it on ABC's Good Morning America television broadcast, saying, quote, When you become an astronaut, after about a year of training, you get a silver pin. When I went to the moon, I took my silver pin with me, and I threw it in a crater near Surveyor. I often think of it at night when I look up at the moon. End quote. Bean and Conrad explored the lunar surface, deployed several lunar surface experiments, and installed the first nuclear-powered generator station on the moon to provide the power source. Dick Gordon remained in lunar orbit, photographing landing sites for future missions. In total, the astronauts spent 31 and a half hours on the surface of the moon, including two moonwalks. This was a full 10 hours longer than the crew of Apollo 11. Conrad and Bean spent more than seven hours outside of their spacecraft, far longer than two hours that Armstrong and Aldrin spent on the first moon mission. On their second walk, Conrad and Bean took pictures of Surveyor and cut off pieces of the probe for analysis on Earth. The two astronauts also had a secret mission of their own. Unbeknownst to NASA officials, they had brought along a store-bought timer for one of their Hasselblad cameras. Their plan was to secretly attach the timer to the camera and get some pictures of the two of them together in front of Surveyor 3. Since only two crew members from their mission had landed on the moon, the question when they returned to Earth would have been, who took that picture? The two were certain their startling photos would land them on the cover of Life magazine. Unfortunately, they lost the timer among the rocks in their sample bag. Bean eventually located the self-timer at the end of the EVA when it was too late to use, at which point he threw it as hard as he could. Years later, Bean created a painting of what the photo would have looked like if they could have found the timer in time. The painting was titled, The Fabulous Photo We Never Took, and Bean made a painting of his fruitless search for the timer called Our Little Secret. These are included in his collection of Apollo paintings. Bean's suit is on display in the National Air and Space Museum. Apollo 12 was not the end of Alan Bean's NASA career. From July 29th through September 25th, 1973, Alan Bean was the spacecraft commander of the second manned Skylab mission. 
the first American space station. This station was built from Apollo hardware left over from moon missions that had been canceled. With him on the 59-day, 24,400,000-mile world record-setting flight were scientist-astronaut Dr. Owen Garrett and Marine Corps Colonel Jack R. Lasma. During the mission, Bean tested a prototype of the manned maneuvering unit and performed one spacewalk outside Skylab. The hard-working crew accomplished 150% of its pre-mission goals. Alan Bean's final assignment was backup spacecraft commander of the United States flight crew for the joint American-Russian Apollo-Soyuz test project, which saw the first docking of an American and Russian spacecraft in 1975. Absolutely, to work with the Russians. I like those cosmonauts. It was great. Uh, the Russian cosmonauts and the people in the Russian spacecraft are just like us, except in a different culture. Now, in our culture, we've got a lot of freedom and we've got a lot of ability to make choices or say how we feel. They didn't have quite that much freedom. And so as a result, I always felt like, boy, it would be nice if those guys could, they can now probably, if they could just be a little more relaxed, you know, they had to be so careful about what they said. For example, we could say, boy, I like your television better than ours. They couldn't say, boy, I like your television better than ours. Or, I like your cars, those are nifty. They couldn't say that about us. So they had to be a lot more circumspect than we did. It was more difficult for them, but they're, uh, they're great uh, human beings too. After completing his assignment, Bean retired from the Navy in October of 1975 with the rank of captain. However, he remained with NASA as head of the astronaut candidate operations and training until the first flight of the space shuttle in 1981. Bean logged 1,671 hours and 45 minutes in space, of which 10 hours and 26 minutes were spent in EVAs on the moon and in Earth orbit. Next, Bean decided he wanted to devote full time to painting and public speaking. He told the Washington Times, quote, I love being an astronaut. I would have loved flying the space shuttle, but there were people there who could do it as well as I could, or better. Yet no one was interested in doing this other job, which was recording it artistically, end quote. Bean said his decision to leave NASA was based on the fact that in his 18 years as an astronaut, he was fortunate enough to visit worlds and see sites no artist's eye, past or present, had ever viewed firsthand, and he hoped to express these experiences through his art. Bean confessed to People magazine that even on the moon, he had to squelch his artistic instincts, saying, quote, I remember once looking back at Earth and starting to think, Gee, that's beautiful. Then I said to myself, Quit screwing off and go collect rocks. We figured reflection wasn't productive. End quote. 
As a painter, Bean wanted to add color to the moon, saying, quote, I had to figure out a way to add color to the moon without ruining it. End quote. In his paintings, the lunar landscape is not a monotonous gray, but shades of various colors. Bean said, quote, If I were a scientist painting the moon, I would paint it gray. I am an artist, so I can add color to the moon. End quote. To lend his paintings an authentic ruggedness, Bean paints on plywood, normally used to make airplane frames. Bean is the only artist to use real moon dust in his paintings. When he began painting, he realized that keepsake patches from his spacesuit were dirty with moon dust. So, he added tiny pieces of the patches to his paintings, which made them unique. He also uses a hammer to make the painting rugged, and that is the same hammer he used on the moon to pound the flagpole into the lunar surface. Also, he uses a moon boot to put texture into his paintings. Here's Alan Bean explaining how he creates the paintings. Boot prints? Those are boot prints. I, I've always liked texture. Let me show you how I do it. I would love to see this. Okay, first I start off and I uh, imagine the painting, what it's going to be like. Yes, sir. Okay, I want to tell a story of some kind because I left NASA to uh, tell the stories that I knew of humans on the moon. Now when I get ready to paint the, the picture, I say I got to get some texture. So I cut a board like this. It's a plywood that you make real wooden airplanes out of. Then I make a, get a texturing material called uh, modeling paste and put on here. Then I get a moon boot. Now, I can't get mine because we left ours on the moon to save weight. But this is just exactly like the one I wore, not as dirty as the one I wore. But then I take it in the material, push it down in there, like that, see? Then I, after a while, maybe an hour or so, I lift it out, and then there's sort of an image of a boot. Then I wanted to have some other texture between it. So this is the hammer that I had on the moon that, is something else. that, uh, that I drove in the uh, flagstaff with and broke up rocks and uh, pounded rocks. But then when I thought, you know, I could use this to do something good. So I make other marks with this. See how that does? Oh. See how these marks are made with the hammer? Oh, I see. After I did that, I said, you know, I wish I had some moon dust to put in these paintings. Right, I heard about that. But uh, they didn't give us a little moon rock. We thought they might give us something for a ring, you know, or something for our wife or something. Sure. So one day I was sitting at my desk over here. Yes, Let's sir. walk over here, John. Thank you, I will. And I said, well, you know, I looked up on the wall, and here was what NASA did give me. This is the flag, it used to be bigger, that went on my suit here that I wore on the moon. Yes, the NASA emblem here, right. Apollo 12 was here, and my name tag was here. Okay, those are the same thing from my backpack. It was on the cliffs, oh, the backpack. Yeah. So anyway, I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, boy, these are dirty. Maybe <laughs> I ought to wash them so they look as good as my Skylab stuff. Right. Shows how dumb you could be sometimes. 
And then I thought, you know, those are dirty with dust from the ocean of storms where we were. Wow. I do have moon dust. It's not very much because it's in there between the threads of this fabric. You can see it. So I said, if I'm willing to cut this up, because this meant a lot to me, uh, I could have moon dust in my paintings. And then I said, you know, I'm spending the rest of my life doing these paintings to record what we did on the moon. So it'd be the right thing to do to make them as good as I could. If I had known that I was going to do this, I would have asked Pete Conrad sometime there. I'd say, here's some dirt. Rub it on me. Rub it all over me. I'm going to bring some of that back. These are the first paintings ever in all of history, all of art history, from a place other than this earth. Now, someone on this earth has imagined what it would be on the moon, and they painted it. Right. But I'm the first artist ever to go anywhere else. Bean's paintings almost exclusively feature the Apollo flights, with such titles as Armstrong, Aldrin, and an American Eagle, A Giant Leap, Houston, We Have a Problem, Sunrise Over Antares, Lunar Grand Prix, and Rock and Roll on the Ocean of Storms. His paintings have sold in the range of 18000 to several hundred thousand dollars. In 1998, Bean published a book of his paintings called Apollo, an eyewitness account by astronaut explorer, explorer artist, moonwalker, Alan Bean. As he told the Washington Times, quote, For the last ten years I've painted on commission, so when a painting is finished, it goes into someone's home, never to be seen again by groups. So, I knew I needed to have a book. John Glenn, the first American astronaut to orbit the Earth, wrote the introduction to Bean's book, saying, quote, He saw the same monochromatic world as the other astronauts, yet with an artist's eye, he also saw intrinsic beauty in the rocks and boulders and their textures and shapes, end quote. Of the moon flights and his paintings, Bean told Reuters, quote, It seems far away now because there are no rockets going there. Nobody is going. Maybe all of this will inspire some kid to go try to be a pilot or an astronaut. End quote. When asked if he felt disappointed by the current lack of human activity on the moon, Bean told the web publication Astro Digital, quote, Look how long it was between when Columbus discovered here and the pilgrims came. 1492 to 1640. A couple hundred years. I don't feel the least discouraged. Eventually, as the centuries unfold, there will be more human beings living off the earth than living on it. It's just going to happen, and we don't need to be anxious about it. End quote. Now switching to Bean's personal life. Bean has two children with his first wife, Sue, and now lives with his second wife, Leslie, and seven dogs in his native Texas. 
Along with his painting, Bean has also done appearances as a public speaker. In the 1998 HBO miniseries, From the Earth to the Moon, Bean was portrayed by Dave Foley. Swedish indie pop artist Stina Nordensen has a song called The Return of Alan Bean on her 1991 debut album, Memories of Color. The song runs almost six and a half minutes. Bean is a fellow of the American Astronautical Society and a member of the Society of Experimental Test Pilots. Over the years, Bean has earned many awards and honors. Here are a few. Navy Astronaut Wings Navy Distinguished Service Medal, twice. NASA Distinguished Service Medal, twice. The University of Texas Distinguished Alumnus Award and Distinguished Engineering Graduate Award. Godfrey L. Cabot Award, National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Trustee Award, Texas Press Association's Man of the Year Award for 1969, City of Chicago Gold Medal, Robert J. Collier Trophy for 1973, Federation and Nautique International Yuri Gagarin Gold Medal for 1973, V.M. Kamarov Diploma for 1973, Dr. Robert H. Goddard Memorial Trophy for 1975, AAS Flight Achievement Award for 1974, he was inducted into the International Space Hall of Fame in 1983, and Bean was inducted into the U.S. Astronaut Hall of Fame in 1997. He was enshrined into the National Aviation Hall of Fame for 2010. Bean was awarded an honorary doctorate of science from Texas Wesleyan College in 1972 and was presented an honorary doctorate of engineering science degree from the University of Akron, Ohio, in 1974. In closing, I have a clip of Alan Bean reflecting upon his NASA career. Uh, I'm proud of this. I'm proud of it to be part of NASA, proud to be uh, working there for 18 years. Uh, the finest humans I ever met in the world in my life were at NASA, and I'm sure they're there now. I don't know many of them anymore but I'm sure they still represent the cream of the crop in character, in ambition, and imagination, because that's uh, what I found when I was there. We had an impossible dream to accomplish when I got there, but I was surrounded by people that believed we could find a way to do it. And that's one of the things I think about frequently, is at NASA, you have the opportunity to accomplish impossible dreams. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode 237 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 12, Lunar Module Pilot Alan Bean, The Artist. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. I want to give a big shout out to all my longtime listeners. Thanks for staying subscribed and extend a warm welcome to my new listeners. I'm glad you're here. In case you haven't heard, the first 35 episodes are available on the Space Rocket History Archive podcast. This means that the first 35 episodes are once again available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all your favorite pod catchers. To find the archive episodes, search for Space Rocket History Archive. Today, we salute my Rocket Emoji donors. These donors have donated for at least two years in a row and receive a Rocket Emoji next to their name on the donors list. Thank you, Rocket Emoji donors. Hopefully, you will advance to the Moon Emoji in 2018. I have one important announcement. Next week, I am taking Christmas holiday off. So there will be no episodes of any kind next week. No episodes. The next episode will come out early in January. I had some afterthoughts. And first I want to give credit to NASA X for the Alan Bean painting audio clips. And I don't know if I was clear on the crew rotation for the Apollo flight, so I'm going to explain it again. By getting assigned to the backup crew of Apollo 9, it meant that in all likelihood, Conrad Gordon and Bean would become the prime crew for Apollo 12. That is how the crew rotation usually worked, unless something unexpected happened. Well, what did you think of Alan Bean? I thought he was a man of many talents. Pilot, fighter pilot, test pilot, astronaut, explorer, moonwalker, and artist. I actually have an autographed copy of his book, Apollo, an Eyewitness Account. There are a lot of his paintings in the book, and you can see the texture he puts into his paintings. They look really good to me. And wasn't that a unique and interesting way to paint using moon dust, the moon hammer, and a moon boot? I would love to have one of those paintings for the SRH studio, but I just can't afford to spend that much money. Okay, I've posted some pictures and the audio for this episode on my homepage, spacerockethistory.com. Hope you check that out. I was very pleased to receive several new donations to support the podcast over the past week. David B., a great supporter of the podcast, donated at the Saturn V Lego level and pledged on Patreon above the Orion level. Thank you so much, David. John W. donated at the Orion level and earned his rocket emoji. Matthew B. from the U.K. donated at the Gemini level and earned his satellite emoji. Martin K. from Germany, actually from the German Space Operations Center, donated at the Soyuz level and earned his rocket emoji. Stuart L. from Texas donated at the Gemini level. Anthony D. from Sydney, Australia donated at the Mercury level and earned his moon emoji. Mary B. from Las Vegas, Nevada, donated at the Mercury level. 
Mike M. increased his pledge on Patreon and moves to the Soyuz level. Robert B. increased his pledge on Patreon and moves to the Mercury level. Ron B. pledged on Patreon at the Mercury level with rocket and moon emojis. Todd M. pledged on Patreon at the Vostok level. Thank you so much, donors. I sincerely appreciate you coming in at the end of the year and helping us out. That's super. Thank you so much. Our Patreon donors have reached 145. If you'll recall last week, I think it was 141. So we've got four new Patreon donors or returns. And that is just five short of the goal of reaching 150 by the end of this year. I am very thankful we exceeded the overall donor's goal and have reached 319. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here and have not donated yet in 2017, please consider supporting the podcast if you are financially able. Keep in mind Space Rocket History is entirely listener-funded. There are three easy ways to make a donation. You can go to the homepage and click on the orange donate button to make a one-time donation. Or, if you prefer, you can become my patron at Patreon by clicking on the Patreon link below the orange donate button. Or you can mail me a check. To do that, just email me, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and I will give you my address. For those of you who have not donated yet, make sure you get your donation in before December 31st so you can earn your rocket emoji next year with your 2018 donation. So you could really get an emoji fast if you donate now and then donate the 1st of January. You could get a rocket emoji extremely fast. It's the emoji maneuver. And that also works for moon satellite emojis as well. And for all of you who have reached the satellite emoji We will have a new emoji for five years of support. I will announce that emoji next time. For those of you who have already donated for 2017, I certainly appreciate it. I have an item to give away this week to one of the 2017 donors. It is the NASA 3 and 1 half inch meatball sticker. To select the winner, I gave each donor a number. I put the range in Google's random number generator, and I got the number for Eric Huddle. Eric, if you would email me, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell me your address, I will mail this out to you. For the next episode that will be released in 2018, we have a new and exciting item to give away to donors in 2018. I was pleased to see that the podcast received one new five-star rating on iTunes. I would like to thank R. Carney7474 for the very nice review and the all-important five-star rating. This is the end of content for this episode. You are welcome to stay and listen to my off-topic thoughts if you want. Thanks for sticking around, folks. I hope you enjoy that episode next week, not next week, the first week in January. We will have Pete Conrad's biography. In podcast news, I have decided reluctantly to hang in a little bit longer with Blueberry, my current podcast host, and see 
if iTunes is going to allow podcasters access to statistics from their platform. It is a lot more inconvenient to have to take Blueberry's results and add them to iTunes results to get an accurate statistic, but I'm just going to wait just a couple more months and see how that works out. And if it doesn't work out at all, I may move the podcast to somebody else. In personal news, I was very excited to see the latest Star Wars movie. Went uh, Monday night to see it. It's called The Last Jedi. Well, and I've thought about it a little bit, and I kind of have mixed feelings about it. There were some things I liked. And some things I didn't like. Particularly how some characters were treated. It was a Star Wars movie. So in my book, you get an automatic four stars in my rating just for being a Star Wars movie. This is how I score a movie. (laughs) If you're about Star Wars, or if you're about Star Trek, or if you're about Mars, then you're going to get four stars right immediately just for doing that now if you're really extra special good then you will get the fifth star for the for your movie (laughs) i'm sure everybody in hollywood checks this out (laughs) all right now i didn't hate the movie by any means it was an enjoyable movie and i look forward to it and enjoyed it there were just some things i really didn't like about it but there were things i liked you know you know how it is The question has come up, would I go to see Last Jedi again at the theater? The answer is yes, I have tickets for Friday. (laughs) Will I buy the Blu-ray when it comes out? (laughs) Of course I will. I have all the other Blu-rays. I'm going to buy that one too. But I don't want to give any spoilers away now. Perhaps I can give a spoiler-free review, I mean a spoiler review, in 2018, after everyone has had a chance to see it. Just don't want to spoil it for you now. Go see it, guys. It's a good movie. Okay, that's about all I have for this week. Hope to have episode number 238 posted by January 4th, 2018. Want to wish everyone Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. So long for now. <laughs>